We're going to be reading Genesis 47, 13 through 27 this morning. Starting in verse 13. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain that, were buy- that they were buying. And he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and, gave, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as, as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was so severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's. And Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh, the other four-fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property and increased greatly in number. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this morning, this uh, beautiful day up on the hill. We can come and worship uh, together and just learn about you, Father. And as we just uh, hear from you this morning through Steve, we ask that you will just open our hearts and minds to what uh, what you have for us, Father. Thank you for all the families represented here in this room, and thank you for this church and this body. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Lee. Got your Bible. <laughs> good morning. It's good to see you all here. I trust you're ready to enjoy another beautiful day in the Black Hills. Um, you know, um, it's been... Uh, just kind of a fun adventure this morning just to see what God's doing. We're talking about work. So I know you're all excited to come Sunday and hear about work. And um, most people are. And yet, uh, I just really want to, it's just out of my heart, and I'm just excited to see kind of what God's doing in Joseph's life as well as in ours. You know, I spent about 25 years probably in the business world in sales. Um, and I know that's kind of shocking that I'm that old, but... It's not really that shocking. And, uh, but it was a good adventure for me, and I know when I first became a believer in Jesus Christ that uh, I kind of struggled with that because I felt like, 
you know, I, don't, I want to look back in my life and know I did what God wanted me to do. And I didn't want to have any regrets. And so I was just, like, passionate about pursuing God and trying to figure this thing out. And, and I always thought, you know, if I could just get involved in a nonprofit or if I could just, be, you know, get involved with the church or if this would be a full-time ministry, then somehow that would be so much more significant than what I was doing, um, just selling drugs. And, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's the, I don't know why that would be more significant, being a pastor than selling drugs, but that's what I thought, and I, I was selling legal drugs, just so you know, but, um, it, you know, but the thing that I, that I was struck with was I was always just trying to pursue something more, and I was always kind of frustrated with my job, and I was frustrated looking for something different, there had to be something more, and one day I was in Lebanon, South Dakota, um, for all you guys from there, you know, welcome, um, <laughs> there's like Five people from there. I know there's. I don't know how many people from Lebanon. Not many, but it's up in north central South Dakota. There is the first outdoor swimming pool in the state of South Dakota. It was in Lebanon though, just so you know. So if you're looking for a road trip this summer, I think it's still open. And uh, but it's up there. But Eureka Bottle, and I used to drive up there. And so one day I'm sitting at Lebanon, South Dakota, and I'm just overwhelmed with the presence of God, and and just overwhelmed with the sense of that I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do. And it was so simple, but it was so profound and so life-changing. You see, I thought my life was half over. I was in my 30s, and uh, maybe my life really was half over. I <laughs> very well could be. But, uh, and I was looking, thinking, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And, and I just had this incredible sense of God's peace. And from then on, my whole uh, picture of my job changed. And all of a sudden, it became a ministry, and I realized that I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do. I was in his will. I was walking with him. I was willing to pursue him. And, uh, and believe me, if, if, if you're pursuing God, you won't miss what he has for you. You won't miss what he has for you. I uh, always thought that if I could just leave and go to seminary, and that would be so much greater. And matter of fact, I wanted to, and I tried to, and my wife about killed me. Um, she, we had four kids, and she didn't think that was a great idea just to go live by faith, you know. And, uh, <laughs> is that crazy? You mean no money, just faith? Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, uh, anyway, she was right. God shut those doors, and we had all kinds of opportunities. But what I really came to realize is that, that God was calling me into the business world, and that's what I was to do. And I just really want you to think about that today as we dig into this, because I want you to really be encouraged about Monday. And uh, vocation really means calling. Okay, your vocation is your calling, and God has called each of us to something. We're these image bearers of Christ. Christ lives in us as Christians, right? And so there was work before the fall. Before there was sin, there was work. It was God-honoring. It was like this way to be creative, this way to really kind of add to culture, this way really to kind of contribute to our world. And so I just want to encourage you that if you are a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you are in full-time ministry. So how's your ministry going? You see, I think that's something that we need to ask ourselves because you are all in full-time ministry. And I realized that what I was doing was not a waste. Instead, uh, it was about much more than just trying to sell medicine. It was uh, about just really trying to uh, allow Christ to live through me. And I come to just thoroughly enjoy getting to know the people in the offices and the nurses and the physicians and, and their lives and how they were and how their kids were and the struggles they go through. And just being able to just be their friend and just to encourage them was just a total joy for me. And, and it was amazing how invariably you'd still get to talk about business, uh, even though you're pursuing Christ. 
And, you know, that's just a little bit about my story in the business world, and there's much more thing that I can share. But what I really want to tell you is that it's not really unique to me. It's really unique to each of you. And if you want to go back to find out where we really first get a really cool picture of this, not even first, but the ultimate picture of this is in the life of Jesus Christ. So here's what's cool, okay? So God, this creator, almighty God, right? He decides what he's going to do is he has this idea from eternity past, I'm going to send my son down to live on this earth. And he's going to live on this earth for about 33 years. And you know what I'm going to have him do for 30 years? Be a carpenter. Huh? Be a carpenter. That's what God thought was the most significant thing he could have his son do on this planet was to be a carpenter. Isn't that cool? That's significance. That's what we learn from Jesus Christ. We get caught up in the last three years where he would be what we would call full-time ministry. He was in full-time ministry his whole life. He was God's son living out his calling. And here he was, the, the one who created people from dust, and he spends his time making wooden chairs and creating dust, right? That's what he did. And, and I want to encourage you that that's still what God's doing now as he has sent his spirit to each of us is he's using his church as we scatter to impact this culture in incredible ways. So the title of this message is Mondays Matter, okay? Mondays Matter. And we have this privilege as believers, if you know Christ as your Savior, you, you get to see God in so many different ways. And we get to see him kind of in his common grace. And it's an opportunity to point people to uh, God and also to give them an opportunity to come to his saving grace as God draws them. But God just makes himself known. And one author, uh, Stephen Garber, wrote this. He said, So the sweet smile of a baby, the tender embrace of a mother, the passion of a kiss, the smell of bread baking and meat grilling, the glories of the sea and the sky, the gift of good work that satisfies and serves, the ordered safety of street lights and speed limits, the wonders of good novels and good music, the miracles of x-rays and dental care. The bright yellow daffodils, the pastels of foxgloves, the steady support of friends, the enduring affection of the spouse, the accountability of justice, the responsibility of citizenship, and on and on and on, each are common graces. They do not save us from our sin, but they're gifts from God, and we see them as that. You see, we have the privilege as we go out tomorrow, whether it's to a job, whether we're retired, whether we're taking care of our family, whether we're going to school, we have the privilege of sharing the beauty of the Lord in everything, in every way, with other people that we meet on Mondays. And we have the privilege of pointing people to Almighty God. And Father, I just pray this morning that you would just land uh, this message in each one of our chairs, right where we sit that by the power of your spirit you would speak to each one of us. I pray, God, that you would just get me out of the way. And Father, you know that I am just weak, and I have really, I have nothing. And, uh, and I freely acknowledge that, and yet I acknowledge that you have everything. And so I pray, God, that you would just speak to us, and that you would get the glory, and that we would leave thinking about you. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So as Lee read, we're going to go back about 4,000 years in history. And we've been looking at the life of Joseph and how, how God really uh, used Joseph to engage the culture. Um, really, ultimately, he turned that whole nation upside down of Egypt as well as many other nations around it. And we've been looking at this story over the last uh, several weeks. Um, and so just kind of, I, I won't give you a ton of background, but just remember that Joseph is, 
His father was Israel. Jacob was his name. It was changed to Israel. And, uh, and Joseph, of course, was the favored son, um, had the multicolored robe, essentially meant that he didn't have to do the manual labor. He was the favored one. He had the dreams where his brothers were going to bow down to him. His brothers really hated him, essentially, uh, were jealous of him, sold him into slavery. Um, his father, of course, then thinks Joseph is dead, but we know better. His father's deceived. Joseph kind of kept his eyes on God, we've seen through this whole time. And so he goes as a slave, and he works as a slave, and he prospers. And he ends up being falsely accused uh, by Potiphar's wife uh, of a sexual indiscretion and he, he, that he didn't commit. And he ends up in prison, and he keeps his eyes on God, and he prospers in prison. And he ends up uh, interpreting dreams there for a couple of Pharaoh's officials, ultimately for Pharaoh, tells him he's going to have this famine in the land. And the next thing you know, in this little fast track to the top that God has from the time he's 17 till about 30, uh, he's in prison, he's a slave, and the next thing you know, he's the number two guy in Egypt running the nation. And that's really where we kind of pick up Joseph. So there's this big famine in the land. And so Jacob... Uh, his, his father sends his, his brothers to go get food. And they end up, of course, going to Joseph because he's the top executive in Egypt. And, and uh, Pharaoh's his boss, but Joseph's in charge of kind of distributing the food. It's this huge job. And his brothers come there. He's reunited with his brothers after a couple decades. Ultimately, he has this plan to move his family there to Egypt because he knows the famine's going to continue and he's going to be able to take care of his family as well as the people of Egypt, Okay. So his job then really was to run the country and he was distributing all the food and you can imagine what that was like in a famine when the people are terrified and they're insecure and they're panicked and there's no food and they're coming to him and also now he's moving his family there from uh, to Egypt so there's 70 of them at the beginning and so he gets to deal with that uh, and then he's trying to run this country okay and I think as we go back into his life and we'll be able to pull out some things that we can see very much apply to our lives as well uh, you know, thousands of years later. It's amazing what a God we have. And so if you go back with me to the book of Genesis, back to chapter 45, you kind of see the first thing is that there is a plan. There is a plan. And Joseph has been thinking about this for a long time. You know, he's had his eyes on God. He's thought about his family. He's trusted that God has him where God wants him. And uh, back in chapter 45, verse 9, um, he says, hurry and go to my father. This is where he's, Joseph's telling his brothers, okay, go get, get our dad and say that your son Joseph, that God has made him Lord of all of Egypt and come down to me and don't delay and you shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Okay, he had this plan all along for them to come back down and live in the land of, of Goshen and, uh, and live there with him. Uh, chapter 46 then if you go over to verse 31 you kind of see this plan come to to uh, fruition it's it's this famine going on and this is kind of right before really where Lee started reading but you'll see that Joseph says to his brothers and his father's household I'm gonna go up to tell Pharaoh and I'm gonna say my brothers and my father's household that they were living in the land of Canaan they've come to me and these guys are shepherds. They've been keepers of livestock. They have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come about when Pharaoh says, What's your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even till now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Okay? And Joseph went in to told Pharaoh, My father, my brothers are here. Their flocks are here. Their herds are here. All they have is here. They've come out of the land of Canaan. Behold, they're in the land of Goshen. So Joseph had done his homework. 
And, and, and there is a plan, okay? He had become a student of Egypt. He had become a student of Pharaoh. And he had planned for them to come to Goshen, also called Ramses, we'll see. But it, it was the best place for livestock, okay? And it was also close to Joseph, so he was close, and yet he was kind of isolated also from the culture there. Uh, they had all these false gods and all these false religions in Egypt, so they were just a little bit isolated from that. And Joseph had kind of learned to think like an Egyptian. He knew that, that the Egyptians just had this disdain for shepherds. They thought it was a horrible occupation. And so it was an opportunity then for his family to come in and to prosper and to really get the best pasture lands and really maybe even have charge of Pharaoh's livestock. So he had this plan to bring them there, and the Egyptians, they didn't want anything to do with this, of course. And so um, they would be somewhat isolated from them, and they'd have a chance to kind of grow and prosper. And, and God had this plan for them, okay? Joseph had this plan for them. And I just want to encourage you that God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. And you know what it probably looks like is what you're going to do Monday. <laughs> It's probably what you're doing right now. It's probably exactly where he has you at this moment, at this time. And it's amazing how freeing that can be when we stop and realize that maybe God has called me to be right where I am right now. As a mom or as a dad or in school or in business or working for somebody. Okay? Or retired looking for things that, that, are, that are just significant for me to do. Maybe that's where God has me right now. And all of a sudden, when I get that into my head, that this is what God's called me to, and this is where he has me, then all of a sudden you can engage your culture boldly because you're thinking, wow, the God of the universe has decided for me to be right here right now. What am I supposed to learn? How does he want to use me? Just know that he has a plan for you. Second, realize that there is also a place for you, a place. And that's really what Joseph had planned for his family. If you go to first chapter 47 verse 2 you kind of see that he took five men from among his brothers and he presented them to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said what's your occupation they said well your servants are shepherds remember he told them to say we're keepers of livestock because they had a disdain for shepherds so they listened to their brother very clearly they didn't in case you missed that they didn't listen to their brother they said the wrong thing but that's okay and, uh, and they said to Pharaoh we've come to sojourn in the land there's no pasture for our servants flocks the famine's severe <laughs> Please let your servants live here in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh said to, to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come. The land of Egypt's at your disposal. Just settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. And let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men, put them in charge of my livestock. And if you go down to verse 11, you see where Joseph then settled them there. And, he, and gave them possession of the land of Egypt, the best of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father, provided for his brothers, provided for his father's household, gave them food, took care of their whole family and all their little ones. You see here, Joseph's just so perceptive. He's this student of Pharaoh, right? He, he did not come in and demand his rights. He did not come in and presume on his boss, okay? Would, he he could have came in and said, you know what I did for you, Pharaoh? I saved your country, right? I'm the one who told you about the dream. I'm the one who set aside food. I'm the one who's taking care of all these things. You owe me, Pharaoh. I served your country and you owe me. But he didn't do that at all, did he? He went in very respectful. He didn't demand his rights. He didn't presume on his boss like he somehow deserved special treatment for what he had done. Instead, he did his homework and he knew how to sell Pharaoh on this idea. And actually, what's cool is Pharaoh actually chose the place and ordered them to live there. It became Pharaoh's idea. He wasn't coerced. He thought, this is a great idea. Why don't you settle in Goshen? 
Okay, as a matter of fact, it's my order that they live there. And, and just realize that there was a place for them that was already laid out, that was already planned, and know that God has a place for you. And he's called you right to where you are right now. And you can walk into t tomorrow, into Monday, and just be accountable to who God has your authorities. You can respect those people who he's placed over you and those people who work for you and those people who work with you. Joseph doesn't try and sneak around Pharaoh. He doesn't try and confront him, right? He doesn't act like he owes him. It's his boss. And so if Joseph has a good idea, he comes to his superior, his boss, and he shows him the value of this idea. And then he submits to whatever decision the boss makes. And we can do the same thing. And we can just rest in the fact that God does have a plan and God does have a place for you and you're in it right now. And when he wants to move you, believe me, you'll know. But until he wants to move you, just realize this is your ministry right where you are right now. And realize that there is also provision for your ministry. There's provision. If you go on, you see kind of pick up where Lee did and there's this no food in the land, right? In verse 30, 13 and going on in 47, just kind of summaries of that. There's no food, the famine's severe, right? You can imagine what it was like. Joseph gathers all the money, and they come and they get grain, and, and the money's all spent and all the land, and the next year they come and they say, give us food, why should we die in your presence? Our money's gone. And so Joseph says, well, give me your livestock, and I'll give you food, since your money's gone. So they bring the livestock to Joseph, and they give him food for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys, right? And they have food exchange for another year. And that year ends, and they're like, we don't have any money, we don't have any cattle, we don't have any livestock, we don't have anything left except for our bodies. But why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Just buy us and our land for food and we will be slaves for Pharaoh. And so Joseph bought all the land for Pharaoh. Every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was so severe, right? And he didn't buy the land for the priests, but he bought all the other land. And Joseph said to the people, behold, I brought you and your land for Pharaoh. Here's seed for you that you may sow in the land. And at the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own seed for your field and for your food and for those of your households and for food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. And Joseph made it a statue concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day that Pharaoh should have a fifth. Only the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Okay? There's provision. God had sent Joseph ahead and he arranged for their survival not only the survival of his family but the survival of all the Egyptians as well now just realize this okay think through the grid of Joseph right this guy's been a slave he's been mistreated by his brothers he's been in prison and all of a sudden now he has all the power he has all the money he has all the food okay he could easily just rip off the people and Pharaoh wouldn't have a clue nor would he really care he had so much excess but Joseph did not take advantage of the people at his mercy. He did not take away their dignity. He was faithful to Pharaoh, right? He ordered them to give a fifth to Pharaoh, 20% tax for the government. But then they get to keep 80% for themselves. And he gave them seed so they could plant and they could take care of their families and they could continue to have a life and they could continue to do something of substance. They could continue to work and give them value. You see, Joseph has integrity. He has integrity. And God uses him to engage the culture because that stands in stark contrast of those who just want to get ahead at all costs. That integrity is like this completeness or, or it means nothing to hide. It's, it's not divided. And so I just want you to think about the opportunities in your life this week that you really have to surrender to Christ and display integrity.
wholeness. The truth is, as Christians, Christ lives in us. And as we surrender to him, he lives through us. And people see this integrity, this completeness, this wholeness. And you know what that looks like in our world? It is starkly different than what our world looks like. It is so stark. It is so striking. It is so amazing to see that in people's lives. And we have that opportunity, that privilege to live that out. We are all dependent on God. We are all dependent on his common grace. And as Christians, we just know about his savings grace, and we can point people to the Savior. But just know that God has arranged provision for you, okay? He has a plan, he has a place, he has provision. But also know that there's prosperity. There's prosperity. Verse 27 says, Israel lives in the land of Egypt in Goshen. They acquired property, they were fruitful, they became very numerous. It's kind of an understatement. There were 70 of them when they showed up. And if you read ahead in the story and you find when Moses is leading them out in the Exodus, there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands, okay? They were very fruitful. And Joseph gave them seed for the Egyptians, but he also gave land for his family, and they were all able to keep their dignity and produce something on their own. And just know that as you pursue God, you will prosper. And we hear that, and immediately we kind of have this take of, oh, okay, wait a minute. Now, is this some kind of a prosperity gospel? No, that's just the American idea of prosperity, right? You know that what just as Christians doesn't mean your life's going to be a piece of cake. As a matter of fact, it's going to be hard a lot of times. We live in a fallen world. There's going to be all kinds of things that are hard. And yet, with Christ as our Savior, with Christ with us, we can have his shalom, this peace that passes understanding regardless of what our circumstances are like. And just know that ultimately God sees the end and he sees that he has good plans for us and it all has to do with incredible prosperity. He's taken you from slavery to make you children of the king. He's given you an eternity in heaven. He's given you a place. He's given you a place right here as well as provision right here, as well as prosperity right here and forever and ever and ever. We have an incredible gift from our God. And so I just challenge you this week to look for his perspective. Just stop in the midst of where you are and just stop and think, wow, God, if you really called me here, you've really placed me here, you really will provide for me here, you really will help me prosper here, how do you want to use me? I'm available. Speak through me to these people around me that are desperate for you. Paul writes in Colossians, whatever you say or do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to him through God our Father. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. Now, as we land this, just catch this. A couple things that I just, uh, just on my heart. Your objective is not to find your freedom, or it's not to find your happiness or your calling even or your independence or your prosperity your objective is not to find your security your objective is to find your master find your master and honestly we are all mastered by many different things at many times and you want to know your master just think about what consumes your thoughts what consumes your time what you're so worried about losing and you'll find your master but I challenge you with this and I challenge you with this if your master becomes the master 
There's only one true master, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. If your master becomes the master, everything else in life falls in place. Test him in that. Put him as your king. Put him as your savior. Put him as the Lord of your life, and everything else will fall in place. You will find shalom. You will find security. You will find acceptance. You will find love. You will find all the things of this world somehow fall in place when your master is the master. Christ spent about three years in what we would call full-time ministry, 30 years as a carpenter. And God decided that was the best way for his son to live on this earth as a man, and that's what he's decided for each and every one of you, where you are. He lived as a man dependent on his father, surrendered to the master. And you know what Jesus was told by his father when he was baptized? You're my beloved son. In you I'm well pleased. You're my beloved son, and you I'm well pleased. And we hear that, right? We've all heard that before. Isn't that cool? But you know what Jesus had done up to this point? He was a carpenter for 30 years. Okay? That's what he'd done. No raising anybody from the dead that we know of, right? No incredible ministry, no crowds flocking to hear him. He's working as a carpenter, and God says, Oh, this is my beloved son. I am well pleased. And you need to know that's how your father views you. You are his beloved child. He is well pleased as you walk with him. And the Holy Spirit later came on the disciples and came with fire, and it was like this picture of cleansing and consuming because they needed both. They needed their sin to be cleansed and they needed their old selves to be consumed and wiped away like every single one of us needs. But Jesus Christ didn't need that. He didn't need cleansing. He had surrendered himself for these 30 years working in the carpenter. And so the Spirit comes on him like a dove and we think, oh, it's peace. Right? We think it's gentleness. But to the Hebrew mind, to the Hebrew mind, the dove was not so much a bird of peace, but a bird offered in sacrifice by the poor. Now catch that picture. The Spirit coming on Christ was this picture of Jesus being set aside as a sacrifice for those of us who are poor in spirit. He had spent 30 years as a carpenter, and his father said, oh, I'm well pleased. He was baptized, the Spirit comes on him, and now he's set aside as a sacrifice. And it wasn't tied to what he was doing. It wasn't tied to some kind of special ministry. He was always surrendered to his Father, as are you, Christians. And so I just challenge you to sacrifice your job to Christ, to sacrifice your family to Christ, to sacrifice your schooling to Christ. To sacrifice what you're doing on Monday to Jesus Christ. And I want you to catch this and just think about it if that's hard for you to think that somehow what you're doing is significant as what Christ did as a carpenter. Just think about this. This is written by Dallas Willard. And he says this. He said, if Jesus were to come today as he came then, Jesus could carry out his mission through most any decent and useful occupation. He could be a clerk. He could be an accountant in a hardware store. He could be a computer repairman. He could be a banker, an editor, a doctor, a waiter, a teacher, a farmhand, a lab tech, or a construction worker. He could run a house cleaning service or repair automobiles. In other words, 
if Jesus were to come here today, he could very well do what you do. Wow. He could very well do what you do. He could very well live in your apartment or your house. He could very well hold down your job. He could very well have your education and your life prospects. He could live within your family surroundings and your time. And none of this would be the least hindrance to the eternal kind of life that was his by nature and becomes available to us through him. And what's amazing is he is here today. What's amazing is he has went to the Father and he sent his Holy Spirit on you. And he has placed you right where he has planned for you to be. And he has given you a place and he has given you provision. We all come here with all different backgrounds, but we all made it here. We've all been provided for. And he also wants to just give you prosperity. We have this incredible privilege as we head out of here to realize that our Mondays matter. To realize that every single one of you is doing something that's eternally significant. That you are right where God has placed you. And God is looking and thinking, ah, oh, it's my beloved son, my beloved daughter. I am well, well pleased. Thank you. If you would just stand with me as we close. And then Tom's going to come up and sing a th song, I think. But there's a prayer that I think Vicky can get up. There you go. And, uh, and I'd just like us all to pray this out loud. I think it's helpful sometimes for us to just say these things out loud. And so just pray this with me to God, okay? God of heaven and earth, we pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Teach us to see our vocations and our occupations as woven into your work in the world this week. For mothers at home who care for children, for those whose labor forms our common life in this city, in the nation, and the world, for those who serve the marketplace of ideas and commerce, for those whose creative gifts nourish us all, for those whose callings take, us, take them to the academy, for those who long for employment that satisfies their souls and serves you. For each one we pray, asking for your grace and mercy. Give us eyes to see that our work is holy to you, O Lord, even as our worship this day is holy to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you all.